CPA and CFP Don Cash has made it his life's work to help people like you plan their finances and achieve their retirement goals. It's time for your money and your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the podcast. Thanks for hanging out with Don Cash and myself as we talk investing, finance, and retirement. Good show lined up this week. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, inheritance and, and an interesting article, actually, from the Wall Street Journal. We're going to get into all of that in a few minutes, but let's catch up with Don see what's going on, buddy. How are you since uh, 4th of July, really? Yeah, Mark, doing well. Um, you know, as you know, we were away on our family trip over the past few weeks, mm-hmm. and I am back in the saddle as they say. It was a great trip. Uh, you know what we did differently this year, though? We, we, we uh, hadn't done much in the past. We flew to Florida, Mark, instead of drove. Okay. All right. How was that experience? So I'll tell you what. It was going down is always fun. You know, we're driving through the Carolinas, your neck of the woods. Right. We stop in Savannah, Georgia overnight. It's always a lot of fun. But it's grueling, man. It's like 22-hour drive. Mm-hmm. So we flew instead of taking the van or the truck. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, it was nice because we got down there immediately. We're like in vacation mode. It's two and a half hours. Of course, you know, you get out of the airport and it's like a wall of humidity. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) But Florida was very crowded this year, especially for the summertime. This is usually, as you know, off season, right? Like, you know, the busy season is January through like around Easter. But uh, everybody's itching to be out. Everyone's itching to be out. And it's just, you know, people are just flocked to Florida the, the past year. And Seems like they're still there, but even though there's no international tourist really, except right. for some Canadians, I'm just wondering what it would be like when they return. But you know what? Uh, besides that, when we were away, our our big concern, my wife and I, mm-hmm. was making sure that the dog, the cat, and the hermit crab were properly looked after when well, we were that's, away. Hey, I'm I'm okay with that. That's a big concern. You don't want to come home and find out something happened to your to your pals, right? So. Well, you know what? It got me thinking. One of my friends and clients shared with me a story uh-huh. that a few years ago, he was away on vacation, and the hamster got loose from their cage in their house, mm-hmm. was looking around the house for water, and chewed into the water line in the back of the refrigerator. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and flooded the entire basement and part of the first floor. The floor was warped. And I was thinking, oh man, I mean, we got to just make sure wow. that we're on top of this. But wild the only he, thing I was going to say, wild that the hamster could find that that was where the water source was, though, right? isn't it? Right? The, the, these animals are resourceful. So that's what happened to my friend. But you know, no res- disasters for us. Okay, nothing good. terrible. Now, but I do know that the, the the girl, one of my daughter's friends, who took care of the animals, mm-hmm. I know that she likes the house very cool. Because the temperature in both zones was like 68 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so your, your bill will be nice whenever you... Uh, oh, you yeah. I'm looking forward to that. The house was like you could an ice box. You could hang meat in the living room. So, yeah. The, the dog and the cat were probably fine. The hermit crab might have been like, hey, it's chilly. <laughs> <laughs> might have been a little chilly for him. Well, I'll tell yeah. you what, Donald. I'm glad you guys had a good time and everybody. Everything was no disasters and all that good stuff. So let's jump in and transition into some news. Uh, This recent Wall Street Journal that I mentioned earlier, this article, uh, talked about huge old wealth gets new owners. And it talks about how baby boomers are at the age now where they are starting to distribute record amounts of wealth to their heirs, kids, grandkids, maybe charities, things of that nature. What traps and pitfalls should people be looking at from a planning standpoint, Don, to make sure they make or avoid making major mistakes should they want to do something like that? 
Yeah, that was an, an eye-opening article, Mark, with some really amazing facts. First, let's define baby boomers, right? You know, that term is used all the time. Sure. These are people born between 1946 and 1964. So that's, you know, the, the big cohort that's, uh, that's driving all of this. The generation before that were people born in the 20s and 30s. I, often I think they're called the greatest, yeah, the generation, greatest generation or yeah. the silent generation, something like that. Yeah. Um, I've heard the greatest generation. Tom Brokaw did a series and a book on that. A lot of times for World War II, for fighting it and winning it, and all right? Yeah. Kind of preserving democracy here yep. and around the world. Mm -hmm. But there were some amazing stats in that article, Mark. Like Americans over seventy had a net worth of thirty-five trillion dollars. Wow, that's that's staggering, right? I I, I didn't. That's uh, more than a national no. debt right now. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's it's more than national debt, and it's 150% of the uh, gross domestic product in this country, which is about $20 trillion or yeah. so. So it also mentioned they'll be passing down over $70 trillion in wealth to the next generation over the next 20 years. You know, these aren't the Warren Buffetts and Bill Gates of the world largely. No, no, this is average, right? Yeah. Yeah, these are people that are, you know, hardworking, middle class, those who've worked up the ranks in corporate America, maybe had a small business. But Mark, what do you think of the average inheritances in the US last year? Average inheritance. Uh let me go with 150 grand. You know, that's good guess. And that was okay. <laughs> that's what the, the prior statistics showed about ten years ago. Oh, was it? It's okay. A, yeah. It's over two hundred thousand dollars now. Nice. It's two hundred twelve thousand dollars to be exact. Okay. Um, I was surprised it was that high, actually. I mean, you think that when you divide it by the number of kids, uh, uh, well, it would be well especially when we hear how broke everybody, you know, says things are and this, that, and the other. Yeah, it is kind of surprising that it's that high. Yeah, and it's uh, the article goes on to talk about how many people are also gifting to their children and grandchildren while they're alive. Mm -hmm. uh, as many people know, there's an annual fifteen thousand dollar per person gift limit without the need to file in what they call an IRS form 709. And many people take advantage of that limit through annual gifts. Um, so you can gift to anybody, right? You know, an individual can gift to their kids, their neighbors. They can gift to Mark and myself, of course, if you're feeling particularly <laughs> charitable. That's right. Yeah. But uh, here's a little gift, a uh, giving planning tip, Mark. It's common for gifts that are for tuition or sometimes for hardship for medical bills. Mm -hmm. If the gift giver pays the college or the healthcare provider directly for someone else, it doesn't count toward the $15,000 gift limit. Oh, interesting. That's a good point. So if you want to make a gift for college tuition for your grandchild, uh, you could make that payment directly to the university then and avoid the limit and still gift them the fifteen grand. Am I understanding that right? That's right. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that's something that people often um, don't get. Works the same way for uh, for medical bills. So, oh, nice. Yeah, uh, that's just a you know a little tip if you're inclined to you know help a grandchild out or someone you know niece or nephew, and, and you're still not going to um, absorb that fifteen thousand dollar limit annually. Mm -hmm. But the the article goes on to talk about how heirs often have different philosophies than the parents about how to spend the money. Mm -hmm. uh, Warren Buffett's sons are mentioned in the article. They're focusing on things like the charitable endeavors they're involved with. And, you know, these are rare exceptions, uh, Mark, of parents with billions of dollars to pass down to kids. Right. I would like to have seen more of a, of a perspective on how to communicate 
uh, the parents' values and philosophy around money a little bit more in the article and perhaps how to control the distribution a bit. You know, the average family is not going to see their kids take up a, a full-time endeavor running a charity. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it's just, you know, it's not something that's... Uh, that uh, that affects uh, the majority of people that are passing assets down to their kids and their family. But I, I think about the issue with my own family. I'm sure you have thought about this too, Mark. I have four kids that will likely get married one day mm-hmm. and inherit my wife and my estate. You know, so you know, it took us a long time to save our first ten thousand dollars, right, when we were young, sure, or twenty thousand dollars when we were saving for a deposit on the house. So. Out there somewhere, there are four future spouses that will be spending a good part of our life savings. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good way of looking at that, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not alone in thinking that it's important for them to understand the concept of thrift, hard work, uh, saving, as well as understand the basics and maybe the nuances as well as how to protect their nest egg. It's a big part of estate planning that often gets overlooked. No, that's a great point, actually. I didn't really think about it that way, that there's, I only have the one child. Uh, but yeah, so you know, when you're thinking about all these kind of components, that really kind of factors into the planning. So since we're talking about estate planning, the, the tax change law that went into effect last year had a pretty big effect on the rules for heirs who inherit retirement accounts to all those big numbers that you tossed out earlier, the, the trillions of dollars that are sitting out there, Probably this is the reason why, so they can maybe get their hands on some of this. Can you give us a refresher on that real fast? Yeah, it's interesting. The article didn't really touch on that too much, but that was a change via what they called the SECURE Act that went into effect uh, last year. And we joke about these acronyms that the government creates that are often kind of the opposite (laughs) of the name. This is a perfect example. SECURE means setting every community up for retirement enhancement mm-hmm. that's the yep. acronym yep. so it, it really it does not secure your retirement mark for your heirs from a tax standpoint between this law as well as uh, proposed changes that they're floating around now to capital gains and estate tax laws if you don't plan carefully uh, the biggest beneficiary may not be the family but really the irs right i think what did your uncle call him uncle sugar uncle sugar yeah Right, yeah, yeah, the IRS yeah, is, not, is not often that, that's not the, Uncle Sam, Uncle Sugar. Yeah, that's what he used to say. Uncle Sam, but think of it that way. But regarding uh, changes to the IRA mark, it's not so simple just to plan on leaving your IRA uh, to your spouse or to your children and having the same consequences. You see, in the world of the IRS and the financial planning, we don't merely have beneficiaries. You know, people know that term and they think about that as those are the people that are going to be inheriting my assets, right? right. We have designated beneficiaries, Mark, and non-designated beneficiaries. And many people have not heard that term and had that distinction. So a designated be- beneficiary has a life expectancy, like an individual, like your spouse, child, grandchild, okay, sure. uh, niece, nephew, sibling. A non-designated beneficiary does not have a life expectancy. And it would be like an estate or a charity or trust, although some trusts do qualify as, uh, as the same as designated beneficiaries. But with the addition of this SECURE Act last year, in the category of designated beneficiaries, we now have something called, Mark, get this, eligible designated beneficiaries <laughs> and non-eligible 
designated beneficiaries. It wasn't more uh, difficult enough, right? Right. To, let's confuse it up understand. a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just you know, this is is this really setting every community up for retirement? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. So you know, here you may have an IRA that's grown over the years of five or six hundred thousand dollars, or even a million or two million dollars. Okay. And plan to leave it to your spouse, your child, grandkids, or a charity, and have completely different tax treatment depending upon how you fill out the beneficiary form of the IRA custodial agreement. So I'll give you an example. Okay. If I name my wife as a primary beneficiary of my IRA on my IRA beneficiary form, she's considered to be an eligible designated beneficiary. So as such, she can take advantage of the tax break that allows her to roll over my IRA into hers and to keep that IRA for her entire life and letting that account grow tax deferred compounded. And of course, at age 72, she needs to take a, a what they call an, an annual required distribution, right? Right. Okay. You've so heard- she, she's eligible for the lifetime deferral of the tax like it's like it has been, right? Right. But the kids, that's the difference now. That's where they've changed the rule. They cannot. Ah, so it depends. Oh, right? okay. All right. That's always the answer, right? When anyone asks you a question in the financial planning circle, they want a yes or no answer. You say, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> and it depends on what? So it depends on, it gets a little tricky. Okay. Most children are considered non-eligible designated beneficiaries. So weird. But some are eligible if they're disabled, chronically ill, or a minor. Okay. So they're eligible for the tax deferral. Remember we talked about the stretch IRA? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That went away last year. It did not go away for kids that are eligible designated mm-hmm. beneficiaries. Okay. So the eligible for the tax deferral, but the catch is, of course, they have to withdraw money every year. So they can the pay IRA. taxes on it, yeah. They have to pay their tax a little, for a little bit every year. But for the majority of adult children who are not disabled, these are the majority out there, they're non-eligible designated beneficiaries. So for those beneficiaries, that they're not eligible for the lifetime tax deferral. They need to completely empty out the IRA by the 10th year after inheriting the IRA and make sure all of the taxes are paid on that balance by the end of year 10. So it can be a planning and logistical nightmare mark. And if they don't pay the tax on time, mm-hmm. there's a 50% penalty. Yeah, it's hefty. Yeah, that's the same as one who is 72 and don't doesn't take their required distribution on time. So yeah. it's so bad that the IRS, this is kind of funny, but it's it falls into the category of funny but not funny. It's so bad that the IRS published regulations last year for rules for taking money for non-spouse heirs who fall into this category, and they published the rules incorrectly, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's so convoluted, they messed up. Yeah, it's, it's something called Publication 590. Oh, they geez. stated that the beneficiary, who's the non-eligible beneficiary, needs to take money out of the IRA every year for 10 years. That was wrong. The rule is that the IRA needs to be zeroed out by the end of the 10th year. So even the IRS got their I, own you know rule what? wrong. I remember seeing that now, and I didn't, yeah, so I thought, wow, they're making another change, but obviously they just made a mistake. So certainly 
that's the need, right, Don, for good advice on this stuff. Someone who's in the in the know and working with these things because there's always something happening. Uh, and that's why it's so important really to work with an advisor because there's all these changes. And it makes sense because there is so much money sitting out there. As I said earlier, they're, the government's, we need money, right? So they're like, hey, how can we get our hands on some of this? And these are some of the changes for that. And you mentioned the beneficiary form uh, on the IRA agreement. How does that differ from the will as it relates to it, the IRA? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I'd be remiss if I didn't give uh, some attribution to Ed Slot's group. They're sort of my back office that that helps with all the, these IRA rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. um, so he has a, a group of attorneys and CPAs that we have on retainer. And uh, he came out with a new book called The New Retirement Savings Time Bomb. And he always refers as the IRA, and I agree, as the, uh, as the tax time bomb, right? Because the tax is going to be due at some point on that IRA. But let's get back to the, um, how this differs from the will. And this is also a point that's brought up in a couple of his books. Many times I see 401ks, IRAs, life insurance plans marked with either no beneficiaries listed, mm -hmm. deceased beneficiaries, not uncommon that someone has an old form in there and whoever was the beneficiaries passed away. Often it's a mom or dad. Here's a big one. Former spouses, right? Upon divorce, not changing your beneficiary form to reflect your new situation. Or some of these beneficiary forms say the estate will be the beneficiary. That's often the worst thing. So the point is that the beneficiary form overrides the will. So you could say in the will, leave my IRA, let's say, to my children equally. But if the IRA beneficiary designation form states that the beneficiary is your new spouse, mm -hmm. that's who gets the money. It trumps it, yeah. So keep in mind the point I made earlier. There's $70 trillion that will pass to the next generation. And as you mentioned, there's a $30 trillion national debt. So there's a giant bullseye <laughs> on that IRA as a source of tax revenue, along with the rest of the estate. And you know what, Mark? Hmm. Now in Washington, they're working on an updated version yep. of the SECURE Act. It's called the Secure Act 2.0. Yeah, and uh, backing up RMDs is one of the things that's considered on there. Moving in, I think, to seventy five versus now it's seventy two. And right, yep, lots of little things going on in there. So, and we'll we'll probably wind up doing a podcast on that before too much longer as well. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of information, Don, when it comes to sorting out how you want to leave money to your beneficiaries, to your heirs, and how to do it as efficiently as possible. And the rules are always changing. So it's certainly important to talk with somebody who can go through that. And if you've got some questions, make sure you always check with a qualified professional like Don, who is a CPA, folks, and a CFP before you take any action. If you're already working with him, you know that. But if you're not, uh, make sure you give him a call at 800-664-1183. You can have a 15-minute conversation, a chat. There's no cost or obligation. So just make sure you bounce some things off of him ahead of time. 800-664-1183. And you can also stop by the main website, which is donaldcash.com. That's donaldcash.com, and you can connect with him that way. And while you're there, drop a line if you'd like. We answer some email questions from time to time. We call them the cash connection. So let's do one of these, Don. I've got one while you were gone that came in. So let's see what uh, Linda in Princeton has for you. And she says, Don, my daughter just turned 18, and I'd like to help her get off onto the right foot with some retirement savings. What's a great way or a best way to get her started? You know, Mark, I love people who are thinking about this. 
themselves or for their kids. Mm -hmm. I'm a big advocate for Roth IRAs for young people. We've talked about that uh, in the past. Oh, sure, yeah. But here's why. For a young person like uh, Linda's daughter, who's 18, they often don't pay much in taxes because they don't earn a lot of money. Sure, yeah. First job, all that so, stuff. First job, maybe summer job, right. you know, maybe yeah. maybe working part time while they're in college, so they can earn um, right now over twelve thousand dollars without paying income tax. So the traditional IRA really does them no good, right? They're just deferring taxes into the future, and future tax rates are likely to be higher than they are today. Mm -hmm. right? We're currently at historically low tax rates, so the money in the Roth IRA that's deposited in there. It grows tax-free for life. So here's how it works. The young person can contribute up to $6,000 per year into their Roth IRA. And they need earned income, right? They need to, if, gonna, if they only earn $5,000 during the course of the year, they can only deposit that amount. But if it's someone who earns, let's say, $10,000, $15,000, they can contribute up to $6,000 per year. And the money grows, as I mentioned, tax-free. Now, if Linda's daughter just did this for 10 years, Mark, stopped at age 28 and never touched the money until she retired, let's say it's 68 for 40 years, she would have over a million dollars tax-free for life, You know, assuming she had an aggressive stock allocation in her uh, Roth IRA. And all it would take is some discipline. The tough part. Yeah, yeah. of course. That's the, but if you think about it, six thousand dollars a year. A lot of times, people spend that much money on just eating out, hanging out with their friends. Oh, for sure. You, yeah, uh, you know, the kind of stuff that they don't even remember spending the money on. So here's a tip: Dad or mom or grandma or grandpa can gift them the six thousand dollars for the contribution. Of course, the kid needs to have that earned income. Right. So I turned my kids onto this a few years ago, and they're doing it, and they're really excited. It gets them in the, the right frame of mind, Mark, to just start thinking about deferring gratification, the idea of compound growth. And once they start getting paid and they see the taxes that are taken out of their paycheck, now most of the young people really only have taxes from a Social Security or Medicare or maybe state unemployment, that sort of thing. But it gets them in the right frame of mind when they're making these Roth IRA deposits. And here's an additional tip that people don't realize. The young person can always take out those contributions, if they have to, anytime, even before age 59 and a half, without any tax penalty or income tax due on that money. Nice. Well, there you go, Linda. So hopefully that gives you a, a thought there. Maybe looking at doing that, you can gift her some money to get her started again, as long as she meets those criteria that Don laid out. And if you have some questions, again, if you want to follow up more, reach out to Don specifically, but hopefully that gives you a couple of good tips for the things to think about or anybody else who might be wanting to do something similar, but kudos for wanting to get her off on the right foot. And that's going to do it this week for the podcast. So there's a lot going on when it comes to inheritance and how we want to leave money to our heirs and how to be as efficient as possible and make sure that it's going to the right places, the right people at the right time, all that good kind of stuff. So again, do yourself and your retirement a favor. If you haven't had a conversation with a qualified professional like Don, who is a CPA and a CFP, give him a jingle at 800-664-1183. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so yet. Your money and your life. You can find it on doncashpodcast.com. That's the website for the podcast, Don Cash. 
podcast.com, or you could just type that in in any of those apps you might use. If you're an Apple user, for example, and you've got Apple Podcasts already on your phone, just open up the app, and in the search box, type in Your Money and Your Life, and it'll pop up there for you, and you could subscribe that way. Don, thanks for hanging out with me, my friend. I'm going to let you go. Hope you have a great week, and I look forward to talking to you here pretty soon. You too, Mark. Be well. We'll see you next time here, folks, on the podcast, Your Money and Your Life, with Don Cash from Donald W. Cash and Associates. Investment advisory services offered through Donald W. Cash & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of New Jersey.